we will get stronger. As a result, crisis is in some ways, you know, something that that drives us forward and provides that opportunity for us to, to emerge stronger. That's Kristen Rivera, Global Crisis Center Leader for PwC. She helps companies prepare for and respond to crises and other disruptions. I'm Heather Horn, and Kristen is joining me for the second episode in our new summer podcast series, What's Next? A series that explores the question on all of our minds. How do we emerge from the current crisis stronger than before? Kristen's going to talk to us about crisis management and share five actions that will help you, your team, and your business emerge stronger from any crisis. And yes, I said any crisis. Let's get started. So Kristen, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to our conversation on crisis management and in particular, what companies can learn to help them emerge stronger from the current crisis that we're facing. But before we get into the, sort of the meat of our conversation, I'd just like to start with a couple of questions to level set. And the first one would be crisis management it can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. And before we get into a whole conversation about it, how do you think of what we mean when we say crisis or crisis management? So. When I talk about crisis management, what what I mean is really the the process of of a company and its leaders responding to events that they didn't plan for and navigating through those in a thoughtful uh, way. And specifically, you know, in our global crisis center here at PwC, we focus, you know, mainly on on corporate crisis. So the kinds of things that can knock a company off their strategy, can impact their brand, and impact their ability to to be successful. Well, based on that definition, I think we'll have something for everyone in this podcast because that applies to, I would say, pretty much the whole world right now. So one follow-up question to that, how did you get interested in this topic? So I'm a forensics professional. So I have spent my entire career uh, running into, you know, the proverbial burning building to help companies with all sorts of different uh, issues from allegations of fraud to regulatory investigations and the like. And, and I'm based in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I work with a lot of companies in the, you know, innovative and risk taking technology industry. And over my years of, of helping companies with these complex problems, I began to see a trend. Uh, some companies just continued to be buffeted by crisis after crisis, and they just struggled to pick themselves back up. And yet others would experience one or two, sometimes very serious things, and and sort of come out of it for the better and, and then had fewer issues going forward. I got really interested in what those companies were doing that was different um, from those that continued to have issues. And, and really, that led me back to you know, some basic principles of crisis management. Okay, so then I think our listeners would say, They've been now dealing with our current crisis for two, three, or more months, you know, depending on where they are in the world. So why now? Like, can't they just finish getting through this crisis before they start thinking about what else could happen? You know, we continue uh, to navigate this pandemic, and we likely will continue to navigate for some time. And so some of the principles of crisis management, you know, continue to be relevant as we navigate the changing, you know, landscape. 
But there's another reason why this is really important. And that is that it is critically important that we reflect on, you know, how we responded, what we did well, what we could have done better, what are the lessons learned. This is a core principle of crisis management, because if we don't take those lessons learned and incorporate them back into our practice, we won't emerge stronger from this. We will, um, you know, we're not being resilient. We're, we're going to continue to be like one of those companies I described that's just buffeted time and time again. And so it's really important that we reflect and we take take the learnings and, and feed them back in and get stronger as a result. Well, I love that you said that because that's the whole theme of our series. Uh, it's emerging stronger from this crisis. So it's, it's, so I fed the line to you. So thank you for that. So then, Kristen, maybe jumping into the meat of things, I know that you and your team did a survey and have some interesting observations about preparedness that, again, I think based on what we've talked about so far, are more relevant than ever. And I know that the survey was done before COVID, but seems to have cemented many of the findings. So can you describe the survey and then we can get into some of what you found? Absolutely. So a little over a year ago, we released our first ever global crisis survey. And we decided to embark on this project after scanning the market. And we realized that there just wasn't a lot of research out there about corporate crisis and specifically the steps that companies take to respond to a crisis organizationally. So we launched this survey in order to really gather information and that we could use to help companies manage crisis more effectively. And as you can imagine, it's very timely in the current environment. Um, so we, we ended up uh, getting well over 2,000 responses. And those companies reported on more than 4,000 individual crises that they had managed through. And we had a nice broad base of respondents from 25 different industries and more than 40 different countries. And so they reported out not only whether or not they came out of their crisis the same, worse, or better, but also reported the steps that they took, the actions they took before, during, and after their crises. And we were able to correlate those statistics and come up with some observations that demonstrate what companies who ultimately do emerge stronger from crisis did that was different from their peers. So a couple of questions before we go on and we find out what they did differently. The one thing that just struck me, you said 2,000 companies, but over 4,000 crises. Was it typically most companies had one and then there were a few that had lots or is it a two and a half average or is there anything to be, you know, anything to gain from that? For one thing, companies do tend to experience crises in waves. And so, and often there's a core crisis and there's an ancillary crisis. And we're living through that now with COVID-19 in that the initial crisis was, is a crisis of, of health, right? And yet uh, we're also seeing uh, that drive an economic crisis. And that economic crisis is driving additional ancillary crises for some companies who are, you know, really struggling or maybe were in a position at the outset where they were, you know, weakened already. And so we're at, we're at higher risk. 
Um, so that's a part of it. And, uh, and then some companies, of course, you know, really just had, you know, one singular crisis. And that's probably enough for them. And then Kristen, I know when we were talking in advance of the podcast, you mentioned that one of the things you saw after the survey is that when you mapped this back to some crisis management books that you really like, that you found that there was a you know correlation between what we found in our study sort of quantitatively and then what pe- they were saying qualitatively. So what can you share on that? Exactly. So that was uh, another exciting component of this. Uh, you know, I, I love the fact that we were able to sort of use statistically validated to predict, you know, what your outcome could be um, if you took certain steps. But it was even more exciting to then go back and compare that to to some of my you know favorite books on crisis management and leadership and to see that even if they took a sort of a different tack, uh, maybe use different words that that some of the principles uh, really aligned, and and that you know again reinforced what we found and also enriched our findings. Yeah, it's interesting. And normally, I wouldn't be recommending to our you know that our audience necessarily would be wanting to read books about crisis management, but maybe we can put the names of a couple of these in the show notes in case in case they want to know more. So I have a few more questions on the survey, but. Maybe before we do those, why don't we talk about the findings and then we can go back to a few of my questions. So what I'd suggest is, can you tell us the sort of five actions so people know where we're going and then we'll hit each one individually? Sure thing. So the first was we found that before a crisis, companies that ultimately emerged stronger had allocated budget to crisis management. The second was that they had a plan. But more importantly, they tested their plan. It didn't just sit on a shelf. They put it into action and tested it with their leadership team. Third, which has more to do with the response phase, was that they adopted a fact-based approach. And they also were highly focused on the, the important stakeholders in making sure that they were providing information that the stakeholders needed. Fourth, which is sort of towards the tail end of the response um, or moving into the Emerge Stronger phase, companies that uh, performed well after a crisis were introspective. They performed a root cause analysis and they uh, performed follow-up. And then last but not least, and I think this pervades all phases, is they acted as a team during their crisis and they were very careful to hold true to their values. All right. So let's hit each one of those. And particularly in the context of we're a few months into a current crisis, but more to come potentially. Um, so starting with then allocating budget to crisis management. So we found in our survey that uh, over 40% of those who came out stronger uh, post-crisis had allocated funds to uh, crisis management and use that to not only build a program, but as I mentioned, to uh, to make it real by training their folks. The concept of putting the money behind it, I think that was maybe what was different because it helped us to differentiate those that had a, a sort of a paper plan um, and those who really made it meaningful and, and invested. And it doesn't mean you have to invest a lot, but it shows that they put their money where their mouth is, so to speak. And they did that 
um, before the crisis hit. Yeah, and Kristen, one thing that's interesting is we had Tim Ryan on as the first guest. And one of the things we talked about with him was that crisis management also is just not one person's job. You know, I think some organizations and maybe the ones where you said they had a plan, but it was more of a piece of paper. It's just this idea that, oh, this person's job is crisis management. The rest of you don't need to think about it. And, you know, what's your thought on that? Yeah, that's uh, that's very true, and and often pre-crisis, you know, there's often someone in the organization, maybe someone who has crisis or business continuity in their title, who is viewed as the owner. And then what we see very commonly is that when the crisis hits, that person gets very quickly sort of pushed to the side, and a senior executive rushes in and takes charge. And and actually, what we're seeing now with COVID is now those senior folks who rushed in and took charge are now going back to their day jobs. Um, They've had enough of crisis. I think we all have. And and now the, you know, the, the sort of the the true, you know, the business continuity of the crisis owners are coming back in and sort of, you know, being asked to pick things back up again. One thing that we have found is that you really want that to be a team effort. You know, you, you, it's good to have someone who um, is sort of holding the ball when this, when the sun is shining, if you will. And um, but then you want to you want to continue to have them be a core part of your response. But you, you always will have new people come in um, when the crisis actually happens, because you can't predict what nature of crisis you will have. And so the, the types of executives you're going to need to help you respond will vary from crisis to crisis. A pandemic will have a very different team makeup than, say, a cyber breach. And so you need to be flexible. And that for that reason, you know, you often have someone who is sort of more functionally agnostic own, own the crisis program. Um, but then you need to be flexible when the actual crisis occurs. One question I think I mentioned to our audience is finance professionals, you know, the controller, controller's department, CFOs. What do you see as their role, maybe now, but actually more broadly when you think about crisis management in a company? So they're very frequently involved once a crisis hits. And I think the reason for that and our data demonstrates this is that the the number one sort of ancillary crisis is liquidity, a crisis of liquidity. And we've seen that with COVID. And so obviously the CFO is going to own that. And so, you know, there are very few crises where the CFO uh, does not become integrally involved, you know, soon after a crisis hits. So it's important, even though they're often not the, you know, going to be the owner of the program, you know, pre-crisis, it's important that they are be a part of the planning and be a part of the preparation. And then I also think it's important for, you know, finance professionals, CFOs and controllers to plan for finance specific crises as well. You know, a, you know, perhaps a, a significant financial reporting fraud or a regulatory issue or something that precludes you from you know, filing your financial statements on time. Those are all good scenarios for finance teams to practice amongst themselves so that they're prepared for a finance-related crisis were one to occur. Yeah, and I, I think right now people are probably thinking they don't want to practice for a crisis when we have one on our doorstep. But, you know, at some point you do have to start to say, okay, well, it is what it is right now, but something else could happen. And so we want to start thinking about that and not just wait for it to come to us. So I think that's helpful. And I, that leads into then your second point, which would be to have a plan and test it. Right. 
So we've been talking about that. So testing it is critically important. And in fact, we saw by a margin of nearly two to one that organizations that tested their plan, you know, came out ahead. And so, again, it just reinforces that simply having a paper plan, even having a, you know, a, a digital plan that people can access from your phones, which is certainly recommended today, it's just not enough. And the practice is really what matters. And it, you know, and one of the things we find is that you don't have to practice the exact crisis. You don't have to practice a global pandemic in order to get the benefits. Really, you can practice almost any scenario because the exercise of coming together, of forming new teams, of responding in a time sensitive manner, those lessons will pay dividends no matter what crisis you ultimately face. Yeah, this is another one where Tim mentioned, you know, it's like PwC, for example, didn't anticipate a global pandemic. And he said he's not really aware of, of anyone who necessarily had that in their, their crisis plan. But you can see it. I even saw it on a small scale. I'm on the audit committee of my kids' school. And they had been focused on crisis management for earthquakes because we're in California. I know you are too. And then Obviously, this is totally different, but I feel like what my kids have had from their remote schooling has been so much better than what I've seen some other people. And I, I do think some crisis management has helped. And again, it's a different type of, of crisis planning, but I think a good ex- illustration. Yeah, it's a great example. And, you know, now even we're in the middle of this, you know, pandemic. And, and again, it's a bit of a slow burn and it might go on for some time. So some companies are practicing, for example, what happens if a hurricane hits while we're all working remotely. Out here in California, some companies are practicing what happens if a wildfire um, hits and Mm -hmm. we have a a shutdown of the power grid and everybody's working from home. So, you know, I think there is, again, because this will be going on for some time, it's worth considering, you know, what other things could come in and exacerbate the current situation. Recognizing we're all about up to our eyeballs in uh, in what we can handle, so I know that's a tall order, but um, particularly for uh, companies that provide critical services like healthcare or utilities, I think that's a necessity. Okay, so then let's move on to the next one, which gets into a topic we've talked about in in general on some other uh, podcasts, which is using a fact based approach and not neglecting key stakeholders, which I think you're going to tell us are beyond who you may be thinking to begin with. So what can you share on that? So that's right. And this was a very uh, clear uh, statistic in that three quarters of those who came out in a better place strongly recognized the importance of establishing the facts accurately uh, while they were in the midst of the crisis. And, you know, I think, you know, you can look at certainly look at um, the pandemic and where this has been challenging, right, because the facts simply have not been known. And, you know, as things continue to evolve, you know, we're learning new things every day and, and factoring those into our decision making. But it's important to seek those facts and to incorporate them as quickly as we can, because in crisis, you simply can't know the facts. And that's actually one of the big lessons is it at least recognize what you don't know and don't assume that you have a fact and that you know something when you don't, because that's honestly where we see some of the biggest mistakes. So that's a big piece of it. And then the other is to be really thoughtful about your stakeholders. And um, it's very easy in a crisis to be reactive to the squeaky wheel, right? Whoever's loudest, whoever's right in front of you. 
And so, you know, I'll give you two examples. One is, is COVID-19 related in that we're all talking about returning to the workplace and we're all talking about, you know, safe working protocols. And we're thinking typically about those people who are currently remote and who are going to go back to the workplace. Well, we have a whole bunch of workers in this country who are essential and have been working the whole time. And we didn't have as much time and luxury to put together very elaborate plans to keep them safe. And so, you know, that's one thing that, you know, we're really encouraging companies to do is to go back and and remember to not focus only on those that are going to be returning, but also what can we go back and do to redouble our efforts to protect and to be empathetic to those who have been in the workplace all along providing essential services. Another example from a non-pandemic related crisis is a company that um, had a breach, a cyber breach, and they were very, very focused on one subset of their customer base, the sort of the end customer, and they were less focused on their business partners. And, and that was because the end customers were noisy, were being very noisy and were concerned about their data um, having been compromised. But what as we looked at the situation, we realized that the vast majority of their revenue came from the business partners and they weren't getting any information at all. And they were becoming very nervous and beginning to look for a new, you know, a new option. And so their revenue stream, uh, their revenue model was really at risk. And so that allowed us to redouble and help the company focus back on that stakeholder base that mattered most to them, but actually had not been sort of as noisy um, all along. So we find that, um, again, you know, just really taking stock of your stakeholders and their unique needs for information and unique uh, concerns is an important part of successfully managing a crisis. So, Kristen, one of the things we've had almost as a podcast theme is communication. And, you know, almost everything you're dealing with being transparent, timely, those things, it's always important, whether you're dealing with employees or investors or anyone else. And how do you see communication fitting in here, particularly with even two months in, people may still not know. They don't know what's going to happen this fall or next spring or you know what's coming next for the company. So how, how do you guys think about that? So you're right. It's absolutely critically important. And Sometimes companies focus on the communication almost exclusively to the detriment of some of the other aspects, to the detriment of the facts, to the detriment of of the response, and they need to go hand in hand. So when you don't know, it's really important to say you don't know. It's important to not, you know, provide timelines or make promises that you don't know you can keep because you can begin to lose trust. It's important who you put forward to do your communication. I mean, we can all think of crises where, you know, senior executives weren't sufficiently empathetic and caused a secondary crisis because of the way they reacted. And oftentimes those are knee-jerk reactions. They're typically in the first few days of a crisis and they, they sort of misinterpret. So getting the communications right is very important. But one of the things we have seen through our experience and through our study is that that communications arm has to be very closely connected with the other parts of the response team. And that oftentimes when responses to crisis go awry, it's because that communications arm has become disconnected and it's not closely tied to the fact finding and to the response effort. Yeah. And it seems like 
Now, again, if I think someone listening, they may not be responsible for deciding who gets to communicate, let's say, for the whole company in that plan, but they still have their own department and their own people that you need to think about. And you can't get so focused on the big picture that you forget that you have people whose lives are impacted in your day today that is equally important and maybe where you, the listener, has an opportunity to make a difference. Employee communications have become increasingly important uh, in crisis. In the past, I think companies typically thought to the external stakeholders. Again, it goes back to you've got to really consider all of your stakeholders. And with social media and other things like that, where the employees have direct access to the market, it's really, really important to focus on them as one of your key stakeholders and to communicate appropriately so that they are informed and that they feel confident in your response. Okay, so then let's move on to the last two. And the next one's very interesting to me because it's to be introspective and perform a root cause analysis. So my question for you on that one, is it too soon with the pandemic to reflect on what's happened so far? So this finding, again, I think it's, it's fairly intuitive. It's, it's the idea that you know once you found the facts really take the time to understand the steps you took or didn't take and how that impacted your outcome and to really think through what you could have done differently before and during the crisis and then go through the process of operationalizing those changes into your policies, your procedures, your practices, so that you don't make the same mistakes again. That's the fundamental core of what it means to be resilient. And it's a critical ingredient to emerging stronger. So if we think about the current pandemic, we are seeing some companies perform what are called after action assessments or post-incident review exercises now. And I think that's a great idea. And the reason is that, you know, we have we've gotten through, you know, a really tough number of months, but we're still living with the virus. And we we know that it's at least possible that there could be a second wave. Um, we're coming in, you know, in some parts of the world, we're in summer and we'll be coming into winter where we'll have flu and cold and coughing and sneezing and people being indoors again. And that could continue to increase our risk. And so I think that there's value for those companies who are currently experiencing a bit of a, a lull to, to do a formal exercise. And it doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be, you know, a, a big heavy lift, but to take the time to reflect about, again, what you did well, what you would do different, and to incorporate those lessons so that if, you know, as we hope we will not, we have a significant second wave that we're better prepared to respond at that time. And even if you think about from the finance perspective, they did their Q1 close or their March 31 close. June is coming up even a small exercise to think what went well, what didn't, what can we change instead of just assuming things are going to go better because it's going to be the second time through. I mean, there's still time to do that and it could help make things smoother, expecting that maybe a virtual close is going to continue at least this quarter and maybe even into the third quarter. 
Moving on then to the final one, and I like that you guys found this and included this, which would be to act as a team and to hold true to your values. So how do you see that fitting into a crisis? Again, it's very logical, but it's it's fascinating how many companies don't follow this one. A crisis is not a time to abandon who you are and try something new. I mean, a crisis is the time to go back to your to your touchstone and to double down. And so, you know, we and we did this for PwC. We we stopped, you know, a few weeks in and we said, let's focus on, you know, our values and our mission and let's align how we're responding to this crisis. And one of one aspect of that is we're going to be very fact based, right? We are going to do research. We're going to do surveys and studies and gather fact-based insights because uh, that's core to who PwC is as a company. And we are living in in a world where there's far too many unknowns. So if we can provide even a little bit of clarity through our CFO survey or PwC's COVID-19 navigator, you know, we think that will, will be helpful to companies who are navigating this crisis. So that is really important. And that, again, begins with day one in terms of how you engage through your communications, um, but genuinely simplifies. I mean, it makes the decision making when you're in a crisis and you're needing to make split second decisions so much easier. If you have a tough decision, if you just pull out your mission or your values and align the two choices to see which one is closer. We've seen that pay dividends in so many situations. So then Kristen, maybe before we wrap things up, was there anything you found in the study that surprised you that you thought either would be there and wasn't, or did this all match with what anecdotally, you know, your experience has been? So one of the things that surprised me is we asked just about how you felt during your crisis, how it impacted your team sort of emotionally and one of the things that really surprised me is the amount of positive emotions that we heard. The number of companies who who reported that they felt proud, that they felt connected, that they um, that they built stronger relationships um, as a result of the crisis. I was not expecting that. I expected it to be a sea of negativity, but it seems, and it actually makes sense when you think about it. And I think we are experiencing this with COVID nineteen. That when you go through a trauma with other people, it brings you together and you um, you form deeper relationships from that common experience. And many of our um, respondents to our survey reported that that experience coming out of crisis. I like hearing that. It's, I, actually, I was going to ask you a question of any silver linings you saw from crisis, but I, I think that's a great silver lining. So I won't ask you for another one. So then just to wrap things up, do you have, if you had just one takeaway for our audience, what would that be? Or maybe two, <laughs> one's too narrow. <laughs> <laughs> I have to choose? No, I think yes. my takeaway would be that crisis is in many ways like going to the gym and lifting weights. You go to the gym and you, you know, you bench press maybe a little more than you're comfortable with. You're going to be sore for a couple of days. But as we all know, you know, those tiny tears in your muscles, they heal and they actually make your muscles stronger. And so the next time you go back to the gym, you're going to be able to bench press a little bit more than you did the time before. And that's one of the you know beautiful things about 
about humans, right? If I, if I drop my drinking glass on a tile floor, it will shatter and it will never be the same again. It will never emerge stronger. But we have that opportunity and um, you have to sometimes press through the pain um, and the discomfort. And again, you know, there's some certain steps you can take to increase the likelihood that you will come out of it better. But if you take those steps, we will get stronger. And as a result, crisis is in some ways, you know, something that that drives us forward and provides that opportunity for us to to emerge stronger. Well, I have to say, Kristen, I wasn't sure we would be able to end on a high note, given the topic. But that is definitely a high note. And again, if I just think of the role of the people listening and even for myself, I never expected to have to manage a team, you know, in this environment. And just so much for all of us to learn and to emerge stronger. So really appreciate the insight. Thank you very much. Delighted to be with you today, Heather. Thank you to Kristen for joining me today. And thank you for tuning in again for the second episode in our new series. I may say this every week, but only because it's true. I hope my guests and I will become a part of your summertime listening routine. Join me back here next Thursday for another What's Next episode. For all your other accounting and reporting questions, check out our Tuesday podcast when each week we help tackle your accounting issues. So that you never miss an episode of any of our audio content, subscribe to the PwC Accounting Podcast series wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on the latest content, let's connect on LinkedIn. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.